Hi, I'm Jocelyn McDougall, independent convener and co-designer of the 2020 World Changing Women's Summit, happening January 29th to 31st in Scotts Valley, California. This gathering is an incredible opportunity to connect with women and non-binary folks who are bringing their passion and smarts to work every day, connect with other world-changing leaders at this one-of-a-kind convening. Learn more and invest in your ticket at worldchangingwomensummit.com and take $50 off your ticket with offer code podcast. See you there. Welcome to World Changing Women. I'm Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media. Each week, we interview some of the most badass female founders in the world to get their insights on how they've built game-changing companies that actually have a positive impact on the world. Our hope here is to inspire and help people of all backgrounds who feel like starting a business or chasing their dream is out of their reach to reconsider. We'll hear the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly of what it takes to start and build something incredible. And we hope that every episode will leave you inspired, hopeful, and with practical tips that will help you along your journey. Welcome to World Changing Women. When we hit the million milestone, we were just like blown away. Um, the impact of that is just, it's not just a number, it's, it's actual human lives and care that they're getting. Kat Perez didn't become a co-founder of Health Sherpa in the traditional way. Her journey actually began tinkering with friends after work on programming what they thought could be the next big tech company, which actually led her and two others to entering a Salesforce hackathon with the grand prize of a million dollars. They entered the contest with the concept for making healthcare.gov more user-friendly, and to their surprise, they won the entire event and with it received a million dollars. And all of this happened before she became a co-founder of Health Sherpa. In this episode, I sat down with Kat to talk with her about her incredible story, how she's overcoming the challenges of being a leader of a fast-growing startup, and how, by just going for it, she's changed her life forever. Where were you in your life before you joined Health Sherpa? What were you doing? Yeah, so before I joined Health Sherpa, I was in San Francisco working full-time um, in a product design role with a tech company uh, called the Climate Corporation. And really that company um, was leveraging uh, data around weather patterns to help farmers and growers uh, make really good business decisions as it related to, to farming. Um, and outside of that uh, full-time role, I was also working with friends uh, just in the communities, developers, marketers, um, and other designers. Uh, and we were really kind of on, on the bandwagon where we were just like, you know what, we're going to build the next big company, the next big tech company. We're going to be those people. Um, so outside of work, I was meeting with them regularly. Um, we were working on products um, like visual search engines and invoicing applications. Um, financial group saving mobile apps um, and all sorts of other ideas. Um, and uh, essentially that was, that was where I was before HealthSherpa. And the general idea was you guys didn't know kind of what you or how you wanted to do it, but you knew what you wanted to do, which was to create the next big tech thing. And you were just meeting with friends to discuss any ideas. 
Yeah, well, beyond discussion, we actually built all of those things. <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, needless to say, I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't have much time outside from from working on tech products. Um, but but yeah, no, we were we were actually building the things and meeting with investors and talking to folks in the space. Um, and so this is you know this is when you know your Facebooks of the world were were kind of uh, really becoming a big deal. Uh, and so for us, we were just like, you know, let's, let's start figuring out which products we want to build and let's actually build the thing and see if we can, we can get some meetings with investors and such. And so this is what I was doing alongside my full-time role. And just to orient us, uh, kind of what time frame, what year are we in here? Yeah. So this was around 20, it was 2013, 2012, 2013. Okay. I just love knowing this about you, that you're the type of person that in your spare time sits around and builds, you know, the next big tech company, just tinkers around with ideas. Um, so how did you make the transition from that life to joining Health Sherpa? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. Um, so, so while I was at Climate Corporation and also working with, you know, these friends on, on all these other kind of mobile apps and, and ideas, um, uh, Salesforce had their big conference, Dreamforce, at, at the time, uh, and they uh, they had this big announcement, biggest prize in hackathon history, a million dollars. So myself and two uh, developers that I was working with at the time and connected to at the time with some of these side projects, we decided to join. We decided to enter the competition. Um, and that year happened to be the year that uh, healthcare.gov launched, I believe it was in October 2013. Um, and if you can remember, it got its fair share of criticism. <laughs> it was a resounding breaking. success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, to put it, yeah, to put it lightly, they, they got their fair share of criticism. I, you know, the site was overloaded. Um, the experience from a from a consumer's perspective was there were a lot there was a lot of friction up front. You had to kind of sign up before you could even see anything. Um, so for us, we we saw that as an obvious opportunity for an idea, as an entry to, to leverage a Salesforce platform and data that they have and, and build essentially uh, kind of a user friendly version of healthcare.gov for iOS, and that would be our entry. And we actually called it healthcare.love. <laughs> this is a play on the on the name. Um, long story short, we did that in off hours. We we entered the hackathon and we ended up winning a million bucks, which was just, as, as you I do. Mean, <laughs> it was incredibly life changing. So um, I did the most rational thing any any you know person would do. I quit my job um, and. I took, you know, my share of the winnings apart from, you know, paying off bills and, and giving some to, to family. I ended up, uh, myself and one of the developers, we ended up starting uh, our own company and building kind of our own uh, products in the health tech space. Um, some patient facing, uh, for example, a, uh, a provider search and rating mobile app for iOS and that, that we actually launched was on the app store for a while. Um, and some uh, um, uh, provider facing. So um, looking at doctors who, who needed tools around helping engage patients and keep them healthier. 
Um, and so we ended up building a few tools there. And one specifically was the one that we really tried to push market was um, kind of a MailChimp for doctors. So some sort of kind of marketing system that really kind of plugs into their um, electronic health record um, uh, systems and would essentially, uh, based on the care that folks were receiving or the appointments that they had, um, would just kind of automate the outreach based on um, routine care that they should be coming in for. So with that product, we ended up, um, you know, joining a few health tech uh, accelerators and trying to push that to market. And we ended up finding that, um, you know, the, the doctors that we were targeting um, weren't the doctors that were interested. The doctors that were interested were the ones who uh, who were essentially, um, you know, making money off of things like um, kind of aesthetic type um, services of care, right? Um, so kind of in the beauty industry, that sort of thing. Uh, so it wasn't, it didn't end up kind of playing out the way that I would, I had hoped initially. Um, and so I kind of ended up being reconnected to George and Ning, who are the original co-founders of HealthTripa through the Y Combinator Network, so through other folks in the tech industry. Um, and we started talking again about, you know, healthcare.gov and serving the folks who are looking for marketplace enrollment support and making that a much more consumer-first experience. Um, and we ended up kind of uh, joining forces. And it's funny because we knew exactly who we uh, of one another because we were kind of doing competitive analysis that year um, in 2013 because they were in the press too and they had just launched an MVP um, last minute um, and gotten some traction and so they were all over the press as well so it, it's kind of funny that we we ended up reconnecting a short while afterwards. I mean, I have to ask with the the Salesforce million dollar win, I'm so surprised that that didn't come with like strings attached that the million dollars had to go toward actually developing the idea that you had won on. Is that accurate? Or I'm just so curious about this like big Salesforce win. Yeah, yeah, that that is. um, So there was a bit of a scandal with the with the win there. uh, the the original kind of first place winners had already worked on uh, essentially their their products well before um, the hackathon, or there were kind of um, allegations of that, and so they ended up giving out two one million dollar prizes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it it was a it was a no strings attached deal. Um, you win the money, and then that's it. So uh, so we we certainly at least you know two of us um, ended up taking that money and. Uh, continuing to build products in the health tech space, um, not specifically on the original idea, um, but it, you know, super happy that I was able to kind of circle back to that um, that original kind of proof of concept and really grow that um, to what it is today here with Health Sherpa. Oh, that's incredible. Um, so yeah, let's let's come back to Health Sherpa. You're joining forces with these two original co-founders of Health Sherpa. What was that like, and what was the problem that you guys were trying to solve with this uh, product you were bringing to market? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I came on as hire number seven. So it's still a very, very lean team, um, and I came on to really focus on on our product efforts. Um, and you know, that year, I believe we ended up enrolling um, only about two thousand folks um or lives and um you know it was 
it was really tough because we were we were at a point where we needed to figure out okay how do we how how do we do this at scale right how do we get this out how do we figure out which channels to focus on as it relates to um, reaching as many people as possible um, so when I had joined it was really trying to figure out all right like where's what's the market um, and and how do we reach that market and uh, it really did involve hiring some some key players. Uh, so folks on sales, um, uh, essentially other engineers, but mostly what we ended up focusing on was, um, the distribution channel. So partnerships, um, working with, um, agents and because there's an agent population out there helping folks enroll in marketplace coverage and they need software and tools to do that. Um, as well as kind of our direct to consumer efforts. So figuring out, all right, you know. Folks are, health health insurance is confusing. Most folks are, who do have it are used to having it through their employer. Um, no one really gets into the kind of fine details. You just get what you get, right? Um, from, your, from your job or from your employer, unless you have, you know, chronic illnesses or, or you seriously need to utilize that care, right? Um, and then you add this layer of policy as it relates to the Affordable Care Act and, and what does that mean and what are these plans and wait, I can save money on these plans, um, you know, based on my income and household size. And it's just, it was a very confusing um, thing for folks to navigate. So, uh, you know, so for us as it related to our product focus and, and efforts and, and really thinking about, okay, how do we differentiate ourselves? Uh, we ended up spending a lot of time on a figuring out our distribution channels and hiring, you know, sales and business development folks, key players in the beginning to help us kind of do this at, at scale. Um, and B, figuring out in our product, how could we really continue to differentiate ourselves from, from healthcare.gov or any other kind of um, state-based marketplace or product that was out there in a way that was purely and truly consumer first. Um, because, you know, that's the thing that got us you know, all of that, um, that, that exposure in the beginning was taking kind of a, a user first approach, um, which is not initially what, what the government had done with the, with the rollout or the launch of healthcare.gov. And just looking back on kind of those early days as you joined the company and you guys are building this out, is there anything that you would have done differently? Oh yeah, I mean, I think we probably we probably made the same mistakes that a lot of um, small teams do. Um, but yeah, I would say you know the things that that I would have done differently looking back at the very first year is maybe you know taking the time to establish a more data informed culture in a way that was transparent and in a way that every single member of the team could. Um, access and utilize uh, to really kind of focus on the right things. Um, unfortunately, we, we wasted a lot of time and resources and money working on the wrong things for potentially short-term gains versus, and, and incremental returns um, versus focusing on low-lift, high-return objectives based on the data that we had. So I would say, you know, we're at a really great place now where that's very much part of the way that we do things um, at every level and in every role. Um, but, you know, thinking back to those early days, it, it would have been so great to kind of start right there. And just curious, kind of since you joined the company, how have you guys funded this? And, and specifically, do you have any advice around fundraising? 
Yeah, yeah. So from a funding perspective at Health Sherpa, um, George and Ning were part of an accelerator. And this is kind of what I did when I started my own company, too. Um, the easiest way for us to kind of get off the ground was, was to, to apply to and hopefully get accepted into a, a tech accelerator where you would get access to, you know, investors and mentors and folks in the industry, even that you could potentially partner with. But that exposure is so critical because the whole point is to accelerate your business. And um, there's always a demo day at the end of these accelerators and the high profile ones like Y Combinator, Rock Health and so forth, 500 startups. I mean, you've got, you know, investors from all over coming in and they're watching you do your pitch. So um, most times you get checks right after that demo. Um, so initial seed funding for HealthShip, uh, you know, probably came from from that effort, the accelerator itself. Um, but we actually had revenue. We <laughs> revenue, you know, there's so much talk about fundraising. What? Uh, and I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that revenue early on helped us grow, um, you know, our team to fill important gaps. And, um, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I admire so much about, uh, you know, my co-founder, George, our CEO, is that he's just, he's just so, um, he's just very smart about raising, you know, because, the more that you raise, then you're looking at, you know, more more members on the board, you're less freedom, longer decision making processes. Um, and we could even potentially lose our way if you're not, you know, raising from the right investors or the right funds. Um, and I would say that that has been key as we've raised um, a second seed round um, and more recently a uh, small series A from um, core innovation capital and impact fund um, that, you know, that's such an important thing, especially for us, because we are purely focused on ACA enrollments, um, enrollment marketplace plans under the Affordable Care Act, uh, which means that we are showing up for uh, a low income, um, uh, uninsured population in the United States, right? And so uh, by nature of how that kind of that market looks, um, almost half, almost 50% of those folks, those low-income uninsured folks are communities of color, right? Um, and so these impact funds, CORE and KPOR is another investor in ours, they are, they have, they only invest in portfolio companies that are closing gaps for the underserved and the underrepresented. And so when you have investors who share your value system, align with your mission, um, and, and can also just bring value to you beyond a check, it's just, way more likely to yield returns. You'll make decisions faster and smarter. Um, so I think that's just been been key for us and has really helped us kind of stay true to our mission and, and has helped us kind of in our success too as well. So I mean, you mentioned that there's kind of these two original co-founders and then you joined as employee number seven, but then you were actually brought on as a co-founder. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that transpired? Yeah. <laughs> So um, I believe it's like less than a year in George and, and Ming took me for a walk um, and, and they asked me, felt like I was being asked out. It was very strange. <laughs> um, they, they, they asked me um, if, if I wanted to be a, a late co-founder, if I wanted to be a co-founder for the company um, because they were just, you know, so impressed with, you know, where I'd, 
how I had kind of contributed and, and you know, the leadership that I brought to the team as, as chief of product. And I have to say, I, I, I was certainly, you know, it felt good to be asked that, but I had also kind of gone through my own failures and, and uh, hardships in the prior, in my own prior company. Um, and so I knew just like what kind of toll that could take on um, just myself physically, mentally, my relationships with people that I cared about in my life. And so I, I definitely needed to sit and think about it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, you know, I, they, you know, I joined the team because those two guys are just two of the smartest fellows I've ever met. And they're just so respectful um, and I could see that they valued me and I unfortunately have had bad experiences elsewhere. Um, and so, and, and this particular work that we're doing here is beyond meaningful. Um, and, and I knew that I, I would certainly, you know, be in a, in a trusting and solid and successful partnership with these guys. Um, and so I, I ultimately ended up saying yes. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been an amazing journey since um, I've been with Alshirp has been around since uh, for about six years, and I've been with the company for about four and a half or so. I love that story. Um, so, <laughs> in in kind of those six years, four and a half years, what type of traction has the company gained? We've gone from so that very first year that I joined, we had two thousand enrollments. Since then, I believe it was twenty fourteen. Since then, we've had one point eight million. Uh, what is that? About ninety thousand percent increase. <laughs> I mean, we it, it, we've we're essentially the leading uh, ACA enrollment platform behind healthcare.gov, and I and I really truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that um, it's because of two things. Uh, primarily, because we have been able to uh, be disciplined enough to focus on ACA marketplace and stay true to our mission. Um, despite the volatility um, and the uncertainty in the market throughout, you know, policy and politics and the administration. Um, And what that really means is, you know, staying away from other products with high commissions like short-term plans, for example, or, you know, other products that generally don't necessarily protect consumers. So, um, for us, I, I think this focus has led to this this type of volume um, and to, to essentially the experience that we've created for folks. Um, I did a second kind of the secondary component to what I believe has led to the growth, um, apart from, of course, the amazing folks we've been able to bring on to the team, um, are the technology integrations that we've been able to um, have with the federal government. So we've been able to maintain this relationship with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and we've been able to, it's, there's an extensive audit and security process, but we've been able to get integrations with healthcare.gov. Um, and so that means essentially we can mirror what they can do, um, and nobody ha- ever has to leave the experience on HealthSherpa. So as you can imagine, that's great for um, conversion rates, it's great for trust on, on the end user side. Um, and so that really has been pivotal as it relates to um, some of our growth strategies and in, in reaching as many people as possible. Um, so what has been one of the best moments on this journey so far for you? I'd say it's been being able to uh, 
to build a value system here that we all believe in from the start. Um, I know that there's a lot of conversation around diversity and inclusion and equity and belonging, right? Um, and for us, it's so key because of the, the thing that I mentioned before around who we're serving ultimately, you know, low-income Americans in the U.S. Um, and what that kind of breaks down to in terms of demographics. And so representation matters. Um, it absolutely impacts the bottom line and representation uh, equals essentially um, really great and thoughtful experiences and products. Um, and so diversity inclusion initiatives is something that I've taken on um, here at Health Sherpa. Uh, and it's something that we're also held accountable for as it relates to uh, our investors, um, K4 Capital has the founder's commitment um, and every founder in their portfolio company must sign that commitment. And it really means that we are being held accountable to um, creating a, you know, inclusive environment for our team, building um, inclusive products, uh, hiring for diversity and, and really kind of um, making sure that in ourselves as leaders that we are advancing our efforts and knowledge um, around what diversity and inclusion means, um, you know, independently and as well as for our teams and our in our business. I'd love to just expand on that a little bit because I think it's probably, it's true of the tech sector and it's also true of the conscious business movement at large that a lot of people say, you know, we want to hire for diversity, but that it's a pipeline problem. Uh, we just can't find the right candidates. Uh, how how do you respond when people say that? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I I can only I mean I can only speak from my experience, right? I I I don't you know in my experience in hiring, I have not seen a, a pipeline problem. Um, I mean, I've been able to uh, essentially to uh, a lot of different and diverse folks as it relates to the hiring process. I do think um, it's, an, it's especially for, for me personally, it's not something that I had ever done. And so that's why it's kind of a humbling experience. Um, it's one that also matters personally to me, considering, you know, I, um, I am different and, and I, I do identify as a queer woman of color. Um, I grew up poor. My father's Puerto Rican. My mother's Korean, and neither of them have more of a high school education, um, not even. So, um, so I think for me, there's you know there's a personal stake in this. Um, but I think just thinking through our business and just who we're serving, um, you know, when it comes to hiring, uh, I haven't seen a, a, a pipeline issue on my end, uh, and this is for specific roles. Um, and there is so there are so many kind of people ops tools out there that really help you kind of get most of the way there. Um, and, and you see the folks in STEM out there who have the experience. So I disagree um, that it's a pipeline issue. But again, I'm only I can only speak to my my personal experience in the hiring process. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I have to ask, since I've asked what was one of the best moments on the journey, uh, also what has been one of the worst or the most challenging days that you've had and how did you overcome it? Yeah, so so related to the best <laughs> moments, 
as I mentioned, this the diversity inclusion initiative initiative was kind of new territory for me. Um, and so navigating that uh, with the kind of original team um, was tricky uh, because as I uh, brought, you know, initiatives to the table, um, I kind of failed to, uh, you know, put my finger on the pulse and see where folks were at around diversity and inclusion, see what they thought about it. Um, how did they interpret it? Um, and I think that was a big misstep because uh, we got a lot of pushback, unfortunately. Um, and some of it uh, was a little harmful as it related to other folks um, on the team. And so that, that I would say was really tough um, because it was a bit of a bumpy rollout. Um, and in retrospect, um, what I ended up doing is I ended up, you know, going to folks in, in the industry, um, investors and, and wonderful um, colleagues over at K4 and so forth who could kind of help us navigate this. Um, uh, and moving forward, what I've ended up doing is I've, I've ended up utilizing the experts who, who do this um, and uh, making sure that uh, there is a conversation and a dialogue and um, you know, there's a safe space where folks can talk about this. Um, and so that's, that's been one of the biggest learnings as it relates to um, those difficult times. Um, outside of the diversity inclusion initiatives, um, you know, just in general, like being in a leadership role is, and I don't know if you ever hear this negative from other folks, but it, it can be like really lonely and tough and hard on on I your literally your hear that from everyone so. <laughs> yes okay yeah yeah it's it's hard it's so hard so um you know essentially um it, that's been a a tough one for me but you know what's helped me get through is just really making sure that I'm finding my support system uh, whether it's internally with my with my co-founders or externally with you know family friends and people I care about, um, but uh, you know I think that's that's so key when you are kind of leading a company and responsible for so much and and the weight of everything and everyone is on your shoulders. Um, so I think that's been that's been tough, but I've been able to kind of find a path to um, self care there, which has been great. Oh, I, I want to go into those a little bit. Um, I, I, you, you kind of just mentioned this, but what are you struggling most with right now in your role as a leader, specifically? Oh, yeah. Uh, specifically, it's it's embracing the many hats that I have to wear um, in this in this particular role as a as a founder and as a leader. Um, when we're so small, because we're so, you know, we're still not yet a huge company. We're only a full, you know, a team of maybe 30 or so full-timers that we scale up during open enrollment to more than twice that size. But, um, but we're still relatively small and lean, um, which has its pros and cons. But I, I think, you know, the, the struggle for me has been, uh, you, you got to be able to step in and do all of the other things. Um, even if you don't know how to do them, you got to do them uh, for the sake of the company. Um, and that unfortunately will take away from, you know, the core thing that you love to do. And in my case, it would be product. Um, uh, but the great thing, you know, the counterpoint there is 
if you're hiring really smart and great people, then you don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, but, but I think that's, you know, that's been a bit of a, a challenge for me personally. Um, but it's something that I'm learning to embrace. And what practices do you have that actually serve your own personal sustainability or that you are actually finding helpful to combat the many challenges of having to wear so many hats right now, or, you know, kind of the general pressures of being a leader? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think in terms of just kind of how I operate, um, one of the things that, you know, I talked about early on before Health Sherpa, how I would do my full-time job and then work on all of these products in my off hours <laughs> and on the weekends. Um, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore because I realize that <laughs> burnout is, is real and that will also just hurt so many of your, you know, for me, it's, it's her, it, you know, it impacted many relationships. So, um, so yeah, for me, the way that I've been able to kind of self-preserve and, and really create boundaries is, is really um, making sure that, you know, in the morning I've got my routine, you know, I'm not checking email or Slack really, um, but I'm listening to my podcast, right. Whether it's women at work, the daily, still processing, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, once the day is over, I am, that's, that's it. Unless there's, of course, a fire, um, as the founder, you have to be on call. Um, but I don't, um, you know, I'm not online anymore. And, and that's something I used to do all the time. It's just constantly um, on email or chatting or working, even, you know, opening up my laptop as soon as I got home. And, and that's something I don't do anymore. Um, things that I do just internally here while I'm, while I'm at work is, um, you know, going beyond the professional or the to do, um, you know, independently or uh, just from a team level. Uh, I like to go and take coffee walks with just team members and they don't necessarily have to be my direct reports. And I like to check in and, and just see how they're doing personally as well. Um, because I think that really goes a long way as it relates to uh, the fact that we are all humans. We are not robots and we cannot operate for eight hours a day at, you know, a hundred percent. It's just not realistic. Um, so I think, you know, just stepping out and, and doing that with folks and connecting with folks, um, has been, um, has been incredibly helpful, not just for me, but, but for them as well in terms of building that relationship and, and caring personally. Mm, I love it. Um, so what is one of the best pieces of leadership advice that you've ever gotten or one that you actually just give out that you've come up with yourself? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would say the the best one I've gotten and the one that I am absolutely embracing, um, because I know it will pay dividends, is hiring people who are better than you, because you need them to tell you what to do, not the other way around. And, and that's been the most valuable piece of, of um, advice I've gotten recently. And then you you might have already detailed this in the Salesforce million dollar win, but uh, I was curious if there is a life changing moment that you've had on your journey, either personal or professional, that you'd be willing to share with us. Yeah, that is that was definitely a life changing moment. <laughs> um, the million dollar win. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, what? Um, yeah, that was. That was wild. Honestly, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have spent the time kind of 
you know, going through the process of creating my own company and building my own products and trying to fundraise and, and going through that entire experience, even though, you know, ultimately it didn't, you know, there wasn't enough traction to really truly launch a business. It's what led me to me and George um, and Health Sherpa. So, you know, that, that in itself was uh, honestly, it's, it's what kind of ignited this path to, to this relationship that I have with, um, with George and Ming and, and how we've kind of taken um, something that was just, you know, from inception to, holy hell, like we're doing something so meaningful right now. Like this is a 1.8 million people. I mean, when we hit the million milestone, we were just like blown away. Um, the impact of that is just, it's not just a number, it's, it's actual human lives and care that they're getting. So, um, you know, that, that definitely, I mean, that hands down, that has to be the biggest life changing moment I've ever had probably <laughs> in, in my life. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you had something bigger, I was, I was like, let's, let's hear it. <laughs> but that one's pretty good. <laughs> uh, Awesome. So kind of taking a whole, you know, you mentioned a couple wonderful little tidbits of insight and advice throughout the podcast here, but I was wondering, just kind of looking back retrospectively, if there's the top two to three pieces of advice that you have for other business leaders. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of touched on these uh, a little bit, like generally, but, uh, you know, I think the, the top three pieces of advice based on, you know, what I've learned personally would be, you know, pacing yourself. Um, You know, burnout is incredibly real. And and I think working smarter, not harder is is what's kind of helped uh, myself and the team get most of the way there, right? So not the boss that's sitting there and is like, all right, who's getting in at 7 a.m. and leaving at 10 p.m.? Like, no, none of that. Um, So making sure that, you know, folks are, are working smart um, versus uh, long hours, and, and that's, that's all that matters, right? Um, and then I would say, um, you know, finding and holding on to your support system. I, I touched on that one um, because, you know, in a leadership role, it's a lot of pressure. Um, you're responsible not just for the business and the success of the business and the return for the investors, but you're responsible also for for the folks on your team as it relates to kind of their careers and their growth and development and their livelihood. So, um, so that's a lot of pressure. Um, but, you know, making sure that, uh, there's a support system. Um, and, you know, for me, when I'm spending time with, with those folks, um, you know, being present in those moments really makes all the difference. Um, and then the last one I would say, Megan would be just, the, you know, not underestimating how important hiring is. Um, it's, you know, it wasn't until a, a few hiccups along the way early on uh, that I realized how incredibly, it's probably the most important job that we could be doing as founders um, at this stage of the company um, because we're still so small, right? Um, so, um making sure that, um, you know, that realization is there. Hiring is is super important and and more important than, you know, the product work that I would be doing or any kind of other um, effort to that effect. Uh, And um, in that that vein, same vein, um, 
you know, establishing value systems from the very beginning as you are building a team, um, which is absolutely, you know, related to who you're hiring, um, is also very important because it's, it's super, super hard to kind of reverse um, a value system that's already been created when you're a very large organization. And I believe Ellen Powell from Project Include, founder of Project Include, just there was an article that was released in USA Today where she talks about this. Um, and, uh, you know, we're listed in there because we had some, some increases in numbers and in working with Project Include as it related to our diversity, diversity and inclusion initiatives. But um, really establishing that value system from the beginning uh, makes all the difference when you're hiring. I couldn't agree more. We, we went through a great process in January of 2018 and got our values just crystal clear. And then I had to make a huge hire right yeah, in August of the same year. And it was the first time that I actually was hiring based on the corporate values that we'd established as a team. And it's mm-hmm. just the culture fit and the like just best hire we've ever made. Um, it's just mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, yeah. All right. Last question here. Uh, what is giving you hope for the future? Ooh, loaded question. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, there's so much going on. Um, you know, I would have to say it's this kind of rise in energy we're starting to see of marginalized and underrepresented communities and individuals. Um, you're seeing it in policy, politics, tech, of course, entertainment, venture capital, businesses and more, but you're, we're seeing it, right? We're seeing this rise of folks. Um, and you know, I when I was younger, I used to think of politics as this thing where it was just something like you know older folks talked about, um, and it wasn't it wasn't commonly talked about, or you know even when I was a teenager, it wasn't even like cool to talk about, right? Um, but uh, that that's shifted, and folks of all ages and identities and backgrounds, it's they're talking about it and they care deeply about what's happening. Um, and I feel like we're seeing mobilization and action. Um, and that's, that's very much, uh, you know, I think fueled by deep, real, raw feelings of lived experiences where people are saying enough is enough. Um, and so, you know, that's really kind of translated into a social responsibility to make change in the ways that you know we each have capacity and space for um and seeing that has been just you know that's kind of been the bright light in such dark times and for me that definitely gives me hope um you know despite the current climate in in our country and in the world a huge thanks this week goes out to kat perez and the whole team over at health sherpa as well as to our incredible production company story pop media and the whole Conscious Company media team. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you tell a friend about the show. And be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. Thanks so much for listening. A Story Pop Media Production. <laughs>